0: in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost. amen. the gospel lesson opens on a senior pharisee from Jerusalem who comes to Jesus by night. nicodemus begins with a little disarming flattery by assuring Jesus that in the opinion of the religious authorities they know that he's a, a great teacher who's come from God. And it must be so, because no one could do and teach the way he does, or do the signs that he does, without God being with him. It's a way of saying, we get it. We know what you're about. And we're willing to recognize there's something special about you. But Jesus isn't having it. His response bypasses the flattery, and cuts directly to the foundation of Nicodemus' claim. He says, unless a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Jesus declares that Nicodemus' evaluation of him, his teaching, and his ministry, is null and void right from the beginning, because it lacks the very thing it would need to be valid. Jesus goes on to prove that neither Nicodemus nor his colleagues know really what they're talking about, as he asks questions and makes statements and eventually reduces the Pharisees' understanding to nothing. Even while Jesus is revealing that Nicodemus doesn't know as much as he thinks he does, he is nudging him towards the actual truth that the Pharisee and all others must be born again, quote, of water and of the Spirit. Eventually, through this back and forth, Nicodemus realizes that he doesn't know what to think anymore. And so the Pharisee abandons, just for a moment, his posturing and asks a good question. How can this be? That Nicodemus is willing, even for just a moment, to say, I don't know, is the beginning of his salvation. Where his expertise had become a barrier to actual knowledge, the humility, even momentary, to ask and seek becomes the pretext of a new kind of encounter. And it is only in admitting his blindness that Nicodemus can begin to see. And Jesus graciously helps him by meeting him where he is at as an expert in the Torah. Jesus draws on an image that is drawn from the Torah in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, where a plague of serpents was to be seen punishing a rebellious Israel in the wilderness. Moses was instructed to make a bronze image of a serpent, and to set it up in the midst of the camp, high up on a pole, and that all who would look on it would be spared from death. Jesus opens Nicodemus's eyes to see that this is what he is going to do. Jesus reveals a theme to Nicodemus that is constant throughout the Gospels, that the passion of Christ that the suffering of the anointed servant of God will change the meaning of everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it. Only when Nicodemus and everyone else sees that Christ must be lifted up like the, servant of, the serpent of Moses will he begin to understand what all the teachings And all the signs are really about. And until then, he will not know. The teachings and signs serve a greater mission of revealing the great love of God in the giving of his son who will be lifted up on the cross. That all who look on him might be saved. Their conversation ends. And we are left wondering at how Nicodemus received it. The Epistle lesson expands this teaching through a vision of St. John. After he had experienced what Jesus had told Nicodemus about. Up close and firsthand at the foot of the cross to watch Christ lifted up in crucifixion. But then to watch Christ lifted up again in resurrection and yet once more in ascension. The book of Revelation begins in the Spirit on the Lord's day. St. John writes in a symbolic language that is typical of apocalyptic teaching, of teaching that unveils. It is a system of symbols and elaborate poetic metaphors drawn from the Old Testament prophets to communicate the eternal and ultimate meaning of all things, to those whose sight and understanding remains limited. John is, on, John is in prayer on Sunday, the Lord's Day, when he sees that a door has stood, been opened up in heaven, and a voice like a trumpet is speaking to him through it, saying, Come up here. The image of the door is cryptic, unless we listen to the voice of Jesus. This time in John's own Gospel, where Jesus says of himself in chapter 10, I am the door. Whoever enters by me will be saved. So too, in chapter 5 of the same Gospel, Jesus says, Whoever hears these words of mine and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. St. John recognizes that this is Jesus. Because he listened to Jesus' words and he saw Jesus lifted up and had his eyes opened by the experience. And so when this image appears to him, he knows who it is and he knows to obey. His attentiveness to listen to Jesus and to pray in the Spirit on the Lord's day is the pretext for his hearing Christ's invitation to come and to see what is otherwise hidden and would remain so without that obedience. Taken together, our lessons remind us that the passion and resurrection of Christ changes how we see everything. There is no fact of human life that is untouched by these truths, and there is no matter of theology or worship that remains unaffected by our receiving them with obedience or rejecting them in disobedience. The Christian faith is not the product of rational method or philosophical inquiry. It is the gift of a God who loves us and who always wants to reveal himself to us. To know that we must ascend in the Spirit through Christ the Son, to see the glory of the Father, we must adopt the posture of those who are willing, like Nicodemus, even for a moment, to admit that we have need of help. This is why we pray at the beginning of every Mass for the Lord to have mercy upon us, which means to behold us, to have compassion on us, and to come and help us. Without this humility, No one may hope to see God. God wants us to see him, though, but he also decides how we see him. The one seeking the Father is welcome, but only through the Son, and must go there in the Spirit. We have no right to demand that God reveal himself to us in any other way. It would be a a rejection, a disdain for the greatest gift humanity has ever received. For God has done all that is necessary to make himself known as a gift of his grace, to make us able to know him as he really is. For it is only by God's help that we are able to see God as he knows himself to be, which is how he really is. Only those he has helped have truly seen him, and only those who have beheld him lifted up on the cross and believed can behold him lifted up and enthroned as the King of Heaven and Lord of all creation. From Advent to Pentecost, our lessons and prayers on the Lord's Day have led us through the mighty works of God accomplished for our salvation that we may see and understand. But the point of the whole Christian year thus far has not been merely to instruct us that we may continue to view these things as truths from afar, as things from the outside. We are always meant to submit to them, to be brought into them, to become part of them that they might become part of us and then define all that we are. If we settle for only analysis and evaluation, rather than understanding, standing beneath it and asking for help to understand it, and then obeying it, we may miss the sight of Christ, who alone can make our sight whole. Only when we do it this way will he make himself known to us, and will we know him as he has revealed himself to us in the church, as The one who sits enthroned on his glory, on his throne of glory in heaven, as the one who tramples down death by death on the cross, as the one who extends his supernatural life to us in the sacrament of the Eucharist, and as he dwells richly in our hearts by faith, by the power of his indwelling spirit. Today, on this Trinity Sunday, We celebrate the gift of the Spirit to see the world through a vision that is shaped like Christ. And what do we begin to see when we view the world through eyes shaped this way? We see, all of a sudden, a Father, the Father Almighty, who has brought us near as His little children, through the mighty deeds of His Son, in the power of His Spirit. We see that the three persons of God, the Trinity, have always been working together to, in perfect unity to create us, to redeem us, to establish us in the life that they have always known and shared. We see God, the Son, sent by the loving command of the Father, accomplish the union of heaven and earth within himself in the incarnation, in the passion, in the resurrection, and in the ascension so that he may present all things within himself to the Father as a perfect offering. And we see that that Father has delivered all things to his Son as his inheritance and his kingdom, and has consecrated that kingdom with his blessing and infused it with his Spirit, who has been poured out all over the Son's perfect offering. We see the Father receive To himself, all that has been made to partake in the kingdom of his Son, in the fellowship that can only be made by the Holy Spirit, who alone can comprehend all that is in the Son and present it and draw it into all that is in the Father. Because of this, we also come to see the true meaning of Eucharist, the center of our communal life, that which binds us and makes us 1. It is the continual offering of ourselves, our souls and bodies, like Christ who makes the perfect offering. So we, through Him, in the Spirit, offer ourselves to the Father and receive the Father's blessing in return, through the same, as we experience our adoption into His family, into the life and union of God the Trinity Himself. With Christ-shaped eyes, we see God the Trinity in creation, in redemption, in transformation, and in the glory to which we are destined. The life of God the Trinity is the pattern and foundation of what we call the life of prayer. Christian prayer is always an encounter with the father who loves us through an encounter with the son who loves us in an encounter with the spirit us only a life shaped by such prayer by such living prayer can yield the fruit of the true knowledge of who god is and everything the church has ever discerned about god has been the fruit of its diligent prayer Only the humility and only the tenacity of Christian prayer can perceive God at once one and who is at once three. To persist in prayer because that love transforms us into those who live and love like God, even as we are configured to the movements of God, Prayer is endless because it is an encounter with the God of love who is also endless. And that in that prayer and by that prayer, we are made inexhaustible and invincible to love because of our union with the God of love. To join in the communion of love that is the life of God, the Trinity among all the saints who surround him and worship him, rescues us from all false ideas that enslave us. It gives us true freedom to live in the world as it really is, because we see the God who created that world as he really is. It saves us from the posturing of mere expertise, from the loneliness of false visions, and from the ego of mere argumentation. And in, thus, in being thus rescued, we become again capable, like Nicodemus, of receiving the gift of real knowledge, the truth, even as we are being known and loved and never alone. Trinity season begins today. It will carry us through Advent again. And with it will come the cultivation and the harvest of all that Christ has planted within us from Advent to Pentecost. It is to see the world as it is viewed only through the lens of Christ and his passion. This is the only vision that can perceive within the world crucifixionation. For with such eyes, St. John prayed, in the prison colony of Patmos. And then he turned, and there was Jesus. Even Nicodemus, who began his journey by night, ended his story by day, in the light, as a disciple, because he had seen the risen Christ, lifted up on the cross, It is only with such eyes that we can perceive and proclaim and pursue in the world the defeat of all that is wrong in the world, the flesh, the world, the devil, and at last proclaim the death of death itself. Today we pray for the eyes to see God and so to live in the real world. For even as we journey through a world that is marked by isolation, of great sorrow and grief and unrest in our nation, of violence and disdain for life, of sickness and the shadow of death, we can still see Christ crucified with one eye, and Christ exalted with the other. And together we can come to know again the love of God, and find again that love, in that love, the unique genius of we, his people, the church. For it is only our people, the church, that can offer to the world this vision of the real world. It is only the church that can make this one thing, this call to prayer. The life of prayer is eternal. It is the fullness of life now and always. And only it and nothing else can heal our deepest wounds and draw us out of the exile of our false visions to once again see and know God, see and know each other, and be drawn together in union, even as we are drawn into union with God. So, gathered here, in little St. Matthew's on the Lord's Day, or wherever we may find ourselves, let us answer the call that comes to us through Christ the door, and respond to his invitation through himself, in the Spirit, into the goodness of his Father. Where, in the words of St. Augustine, we shall rest, and we shall see. We shall see, and we shall love. We shall love, and we shall praise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.